Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What strange happenings were taking place in New England's Blackstone River Valley in the 1960s? What did Joe Ferrier photograph over Cumberland, Rhode Island on July 3rd, 1967? What kind of emotional experience is it to actually see a UFO? Hello there, and welcome to the 373rd broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those local questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, this evening we are very pleased to honor the request of a number of local listeners and replay the one show we did with Joseph L. Ferrier, the late Joseph L. Ferrier, a true Renaissance man and an institution here in the Blackstone Valley. Along with being an athlete, musician, and broadcaster, Joe was a well-known UFO expert in the 1960s and the publisher of Probe Magazine, one of the first UFO journals. He took a remarkable series of UFO photographs over Cumberland, Rhode Island in July 1967. To this day, when we mention Joe to the big-name UFO researchers we often have on the show, they've all heard of him. Uh, Joe was a great friend and a great fan of the show, and as we were of his show. And uh, we wanted to uh, have him on the air uh, for, uh, well, one last time. But we've had him on the air like a number of times. Uh, but he only did that one show on uh, July 12, 2009. He told us uh, that his life became uh, so weird in the 1960s and 70s uh, because of the UFO research, and that made uh, that's why he made the decision to back off the UFO research, and so his life went back to normal. Uh, but before we hear Joe once again, it's time for our weekly paranormal contest. So last week's question was, what famous British diplomat vanished into thin air in nineteen or in 1809? Well, Kerry Feldman of Aurora, Illinois, got that one right. It was British diplomat Benjamin Bathurst who vanished into thin air in 1809. Bathurst was returning to Hamburg, Germany with a companion after a mission in the to the uh, Austrian court. Along the way, they had stopped for dinner at an inn in the town of Perelberg. And upon finishing the meal, they returned to their waiting horse-drawn coach. Bathurst's companion watched as the diplomat stepped over to the front of the coach to examine the horses and simply vanished without a trace. So this week's question is, if you, uh, if you, got, the lo- yeah, if you got lost in the scape or swamp, uh, what creature would you run into? Uh, be first to win that, or get that right, and win a copy of Faces at the Window, one of my dad's uh, earliest books about paranormal cases. Now, we're going to ask you to hold the calls this evening as we will be playing this pre-recorded interview. So let's revisit our interview with the UFO expert Joe Ferrier from July 12, 2009. What was your first UFO experience here in the Blackstone Valley? Ah, uh, okay. Uh, I am approximately four years old. This is interesting. This memory... You know how difficult it is to remember that far back. Tell me about it, yeah. And this memory is so clear and concise, but it's very short. It's it's just a brief glimpse of something that happened when I was about four years old. I'm sitting in the backyard. We lived on the Victory Highway in Slatersville, Rhode Island, and I remember I'm playing in the backyard with my in the sandbox with my little pail and my little shovel and I'm digging dirt. And all of a sudden, I'm aware of the presence of a huge silver 
I want to I want to call it a rocket ship, Paul. I don't know if you've ever been to Crescent Park. They had a rocket ride at Crescent Park. It looked very much like that. It looked like something out of a a, a Buck Rogers Flash Gordon movie. It had no wings. It was enormous and very very low to the ground. That was unnerving, especially for a little kid. I was a little bit afraid of it, but I, the the fear didn't last because then I noticed that there were a lot of windows on this thing, and there were people in the windows, smiling and waving, and apparently having a great old time. And so I wasn't afraid. I mean, they seemed to be very happy, and everybody was having a good time. I had never seen anything that low. Uh, and that's all I can remember. I, I remember calling to my grandmother to come out and see this, and by the time she got there, it was gone. And that's all I remember. I remember nothing more about the incident. I remember nothing more about being four years old. Mm -hmm. But that memory is clear and concise in my mind. This thing was huge. It made a very, very soft humming sound. It had no wings. It could have been... A dirigible, it could have been a Zeppelin, I don't know. I'm four years old, all I know is I see this huge thing very low to the ground, there are windows in it, and there are people in the windows, they're smiling and laughing and waving at okay. me. That's my first okay. brush with the aerial unknown. Now we move ahead about three years. I'm in grade school at Kendall Dean School in North Smithfield now. And I remember it is recess time, and all the kids are out playing, and the teachers are out watching us, and some UFOs overfly the schoolyard. And everybody sees these things, and even the teachers are pointing out, look at the UFOs, and everybody watches them, and they fly over, and that's the end of that one, and that's all I can remember about that. Move ahead again... Uh, oh, by the way, before I move on, I don't want to forget this. After the this incident in the schoolyard, I remember going home telling my grandfather about this. My grandfather was an interesting guy. He was one of these people. He wasn't a seventh son of a seventh son, but he could stop bleeding. He could do instantaneous healings of that sort. He was a strange person. After I told him about the schoolyard thing, he told me that there were people on other planets and that someday I would get to meet them. Which I found to be a very strange thing to be coming from my grandfather. But anyway, I, that sticks out in my memory as well. I want to make sure that's, that's part of the story. All right, we move on now. I think I now am in about the fifth grade at Kendall Dean School. And at this point... I frequently walk home from school. Anybody who knows the area in Slaterville will, will be able to picture what I'm saying. There was a shortcut that we would take. Those of us who lived in the area of the Victory Highway, we would cut through the ball field and through the wooded area there. There was a nice path that would take us right practically out to my backyard on the Victory Highway and would cut off an awful lot of uh, unnecessary walking. So I'm going home through the uh, the shortcut this day and I see a silver disc-like object maneuvering around the smokestack 
of a local manufacturing plant. So I stop and I sit down and I'm watching it and it is just effortlessly floating around doing different maneuvers around this smokestack and that's the last thing I remember. I don't remember the object leaving. I don't remember getting up and leaving. I assume that's what happened. I must have either got sick of looking at it or it took off and I got up and walked home. And that was the end of that. But this is now three incidents in a relatively short period of time. Uh, I, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to create the impression that any of these incidents were necessarily visitations by alien beings or anything. I don't know what they were. The first thing could have been, as I said, a Zeppelin. These other things might have been balloons. Uh, I mean, I'm open to the possibility that they were natural phenomena that were misinterpreted as being something else. So, you know, I just don't want to create the impression that, that these were spaceships or anything of that nature. Uh, the next thing that happened, though, now we fast forward to the year 1962, and I am working at the Fairmount Dye Works and First Avenue in Fairmount, and we're on a lunch break. It's a cold January morning. The sky is crystal clear, beautiful cold January morning, and one of our buddies is has gone out to get coffee for us for the coffee break. He comes in running and yelling. His face is red. There are flying saucers out there. There are flying saucers. Come on. And none of us got up. And we all said, yeah, right, sure. You know, there were flying saucers out there. And But he was so insistent, and, and, and his face got redder, and, and you could see that he was really emotionally involved. So we said, well, maybe we better take a look. We went out, and sure enough, there are four of us now, in addition to myself myself and four others, who see three beautiful disc-shaped objects silently in, in V formation, silently flying over the area. It's interesting. They are totally silent. They reflect sunlight, but they also appear to be diaphanous, as, as if you could see through them. You have the impression... Translucent? Yeah. 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 It, it, was, it was weird, because... There was a solidity to them in that they reflected the sunlight, but there was also a, an apparent non-solidity mm. to them. Really weird. And somehow that sighting, after all the other all the other things that happened, didn't appear to affect me one way or another particularly. I had other things on my mind. That sighting in 62 triggered something. Triggered something in me and and made me... I got compulsive about finding out more about UFOs. And I, I was more open to the idea of uh, alien life and, and space travel and all of these things. And I started hunting down people who knew something about the subject. One of my first contacts was a man by the name of George Fawcett. He used to give lectures at the YMCA here in the city of Woonsocket. He put me in touch with other people like Tim Beckley, uh, Ray Palmer out of Wisconsin. Uh, and these people eventually put me in touch with a fellow from Worcester, Armin Laprade. Uh, I went to visit him. We got together a few times and decided that we would stop publishing a magazine. Uh, there was this urge to communicate information on the topic. And uh, so we started publishing the magazine. It was originally called the Controversial Phenomena Bulletin. 
and later became Probe Magazine. We started publishing that in 1964. It lasted for about five years. Mm-hmm. And the issue... Well, uh, excuse right. me, just a We're showing this on the... Uh, uh, screen here. If you are watching on a computer, listening on the internet, you can see a copy of uh, Probe magazine that uh, Joe published, and uh, he's talking about. So please, and that, that's the final issue, Paul. Okay, yeah. that, that was the last issue published, and uh, and and that's that's it. After that, after the publication of this issue, of course, a lot of stuff went down in between. But I'm going to take all your time here. Uh, I'm that's what you're here for. No, I, I more or less gave up my researches. After this issue was published, we ran into a lot of problems, uh, strange and unusual happenings uh, that were associated with these photographs and that particular issue, and uh, I just didn't need any more of it. So I said, I've, I've had it. You know, that's it. I have not done any active research since then. I'm still intensely interested, but my, my interest is passive, and uh, that's where I stand today. Okay. Yeah. All right, uh, just the picture on the cover of that magazine. And then, folks, let me just remind you, if you go, if you have access to a computer or you're watching on a computer listening, uh, go to uh, BehindTheParanormal.com, our show website, and go to the Talking Points page. And uh, actually right behind uh, astronaut Ed Mitchell, who's going to be our guest uh, next month, uh, you, right behind that is, is a picture of uh, Joe's UFO, one of his famous UFO photographs from 1967. Can you just tell us about the circumstances in which that occurred? Sure. Uh, I was doing a talk show at that time, and uh, the fact that I was interested in UFOs was pretty well public knowledge. I had talked about UFOs frequently. And I started getting some telephone calls from people in the area of Diamond Hill uh, saying that they were seeing some unusual cigar-shaped type object in the area. This went on for about two or three days, Paul. Normally, I would get calls like this, and if I got a few calls, I, I didn't have time to run around and check out all these reported observations. But this was going on for two or three days, and everybody is essentially in the same geographic area so it it occurs to me that something funny really is going on here so i'm going to i'm going to see if i can take a little trek up there and see if i can find something if something has been in the area maybe it left something behind maybe there's there's a ground trace or a fragment or something that i might be able to locate so i go to the area i have this camera with me it's an old camera it's it's a reflex camera one of those that you have to look into you have to spot the object in in the viewfinder and look into it i bring the camera along just in case if i find anything and after i'm there for a while i realize that <laughs> it's 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 kind of foolish because i really don't know what i'm looking for if you were to come across an alien object how would you recognize it as being an alien object? What what if, for example, the craft that they were reporting was a lighter-than-aircraft of some sort, and I came across some fragments that looked like pieces of a balloon? I would ignore that. I would thinking that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something unusual. And so I'm about to leave because I decide this is fruitless, and suddenly I see the thing. I turn around, I'm about to leave, and there it is, hanging there in the sky, the slow rocking motion speaking of lighter than aircraft that's the impression one gets mm. this thing doesn't look heavy although it looks heavy but it's not acting like it's heavy it's it looks pitted it's not 
a smooth, gleaming, metallic surface that you hear about all the time? Not at all. It looks like a pitted, charcoal, drab kind of surface. It has four white spots along, running along the side of it. They don't look like windows. They don't look like portholes. They look like white spots, whatever that might be. I also noticed that there's something like a piston-like apparatus that is moving in and out of one end of this thing with some degree of regularity. And so I start taking pictures of the thing. Well, I'm not going to take time and go through the whole thing. i got about seven pictures of, yeah. of this thing. Uh, it's, and, and they are printed in the magazine, and they've been used in books, and, and they're all over the place. They're authentic. Uh, the thing is real. I saw it eject from a hatch-like device located underneath the object uh, along about the middle. It ejected a smaller disc-like yeah, object. Yeah, it's in one of the pi- couple of the pictures. Right. Yeah. And I got I got two pictures of that, I think, of the disc. And uh, this whole thing took place in, in a matter of seconds. I, 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 can't, mm-hmm. I can't remember how long it was. Uh, but it seemed like a long period of time. It felt like a long period of time. But it wasn't a long period of time. The psychological reaction was interesting. My first reaction was I, to panic a little bit. I was, I was a little bit afraid when I saw this thing hanging there so, and so silent. I mean, it might have been there for a few seconds before I turned around to look at it, and I had no idea. And, and that fact alone was a little uh, intimidating. Yeah. So I'm going to interrupt you for a second. We're sure. going to take a commercial break. And we'll be right back with Joe Ferrier here on Behind the Paranormal talking about his amazing UFO experiences. Is your business getting the necessary exposure? American Beauty Sign Works, your local sign experts, can help you answer yes to that question. Okay, we're going to talk. All right, that was a part of our interview from July 2009 with the great late Joe Ferrier. And he said that he was saying some things to us on that show that he'd never said before. And um, uh, we felt rather honored by that. So we're going to skip ahead just a little bit because uh, that sponsor is no longer with us. And we're going to see what um, uh, Joe has to say for the um, uh, remainder of the uh, uh, interview here. And he's talking, of course, about these amazing um, photographs that he took over Cumberland in uh, July of 1967. Uh, th- photographs that I've used for years in my own lectures. Now, I will point out that uh, I had make, made references during the interview to various um, uh, web, the website, uh, of course, the show website that we use, and it's behindtheparanormal.com. And if you go to the Talking Points page uh, for 2009, uh, that's where you can see the photographs that we're referring to. Uh, so don't be confused if you go to the current one and you don't see them. Look, look uh, on the page for 2009, and we'll see... Um, why don't we uh, continue here, Ben? So let's pick up where we left off. Right, Scanners, digital graphics, marquees, magnetic, Whoa. neon, political, okay. and real estate signs. Uh, this is my fault. I should have... Um, yeah. when, you, when you get to where you need to, just let me know. I'm not sure where I need to be tried now. I've taken in 1967, and they are... One of them, anyway, is at BehindTheParanormal.com on our Talking Points page. And it's also right up on the screen if you happen to be listening on the computer. Joe, you were beginning to talk about, before I so rudely interrupted you, about the the emotional impact 
of having a UFO experience like this. So if you could pick up where you left off. Yeah, uh, that the initial the initial feeling was shock, surprise, uh, a little trepidation. That disappeared very quickly and was supplanted by a very, very calm feeling. Now, how, how could you feel calm mm. looking at this weird apparatus? It's like nothing you've ever seen before, except when I was four years old. Uh, by the way, those, those are things I've never mentioned publicly. The, the sightings when I was a small boy, I've never told anybody about that before. I'm honored to have you do it on this show. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 suddenly it's like a sudden calmness came over me and I started acting very methodically. Uh, started taking the pictures of the thing, got some darn good shots, I think. And, uh, I felt that way throughout the entire, the entire episode. Mm -hmm. I did not feel apprehensive anymore. I didn't feel nervous. Uh, when the episode was over, there was a bit of, a little bit of a feeling of relief. Um, uh, and I don't know why I can't explain that because I I wasn't afraid to begin you know join the, the episode but there was a feeling of relief nevertheless uh, when the thing took off and there you are that's the pictures then have been printed in a number of different places they're in this hardcover book and they're all over the place you know yeah uh, Alan Hynek wanted the the negatives and he called me and we talked for a while on the phone and. I told Alan, I was well aware of the fact that many negatives travel on a one-way street, uh, you know. So I told Hynek that if he wanted to come down and do a, a, a field investigation, that I would be more than happy to let him examine the negatives. Mm -hmm. And the only request that I would make of him was that he would have to make a public pronouncement on them, one way or the other. But I would want a public pronouncement made because I knew they were real. Yeah. And I knew he would have to say, these photos are authentic. Now, 67, that was after he stopped working for the Air Force. Supposedly, he had stopped working yeah. for the Air Force. I was a little suspicious about that. Yeah. And so that's why I'm not going to mail the negatives to Alan yeah. Hynek. I knew him, yeah. too. I, yeah. I had a few suspicions. Jay Alan Hynek, uh, you know, blessed memory, was a fellow who was a scientist and was hired by the Air Force, I guess as part of Project Blue Book, if sure. I'm not mistaken, sure. uh, to debunk UFOs. And right. he ended up... Uh, becoming a UFO believer, and uh, I—he's since passed away. Uh, there, there, there's a little—I don't want to take too much time because your story is so interesting. We're here to talk to you, but there's a fascinating little uh, aside about Alan Hynek. A lot of people don't know. In the movie *Close Encounters of the Third Kind*, I've never heard this much. He makes a cameo right at the end when the uh, the craft are landing at that little airstrip behind whatever it is, Devil's Tower. And he puts his pipe in his mouth, very, very, uh, like a, very much the distinguished scientist. And uh, right. I'm sure you recognize him. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. But in any case, well, I've never heard anybody mention that. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, there are a number of questions that might arise that people might ask. From the four-year-old experience when you were four, all the way through the 1967 experience, uh, did you? Uh, odd as the craft was, look into any reports of, of uh, dirigibles or, or blimps or whatever uh, flying over the areas at those times, or was it just so strange you didn't feel the need to? You to look talking about the '67 yeah. incident? Yeah. No, I didn't because I knew it wasn't a blimp or a dirigible. Yeah. Okay. Unlike the early incident, which might have been, this I knew was not. This mm -hmm. was something entirely different, something I'd never seen before. Yeah. 
and when it ejected the disc, oh right, that that took it up, as far as I was concerned to another level. That this was something entirely different here. I've heard a lot of stories about larger craft ejecting smaller craft in that way. You know. Yeah. Uh, let me just remind you, folks, uh, our numbers uh, for calling tonight. If you'd like to talk to Joe Ferrier, four zero one seven six six twelve forty in the local area. 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the USA and email eno at onworldwide.com Now as we were doing some show prep, uh, Joe, the other day we were talking about an amazing incident in which you encountered two very unusual people uh, would, you, would you mind recounting that story? The end uh, is a real whopper because it's, it's an amazing It show. is indeed it's, it's kind of long so I'm, I'm I'm not going to go into all the details of how I got to be in Hartford, Connecticut, but I'm in Hartford, Connecticut, and and I had hitchhiked there. By it's about the way. 75 miles from here. Right? Yeah, this is early to mid 50s. I'm not sure exactly what year it is, Paul. It's early to mid 50s. I'm a teenager now, and uh, I'm hitchhiking back home from Hartford, Connecticut, and I am picked up by two people. Uh, a good-looking man with with dark hair and a beautiful blonde woman, and they sit me in the back seat of the car, and I'm not alone in the back seat. There are tons of little black boxes, and I am told to not touch the boxes. Whatever you do, don't touch the boxes. And okay, that that was clear to me, and I'm not going to argue with that. These people are very 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 happy, very outgoing, very cheerful people. They're constantly laughing and joking with each other. And I asked them where they were from. They asked me where I was going. Obviously, I told them. And uh, they said that they could bring me pretty close to, to the area that I needed to be in. I asked them where they were from, and they said that they were from very, very far away, that I wouldn't recognize where they were from, and that they their job was to go around the country uh, delivering these little black boxes to different people and helping to install them. And they, they are laughing while they're telling me this. I mean, this is a, a, a great joke to them, apparently. And I'm not getting it. I have no idea what that's all about. But that's okay. I'm getting a ride home anyway. I am impressed by these people. Every now and then you meet someone that is just unusual, different from the mainstream. And these people were that that different they radiated an aura of of warmth and friendliness and and compassion you felt safe and secure in their presence anyway they they gave me the ride they dropped me off and that was the end of that i went back to being a relatively messed up teenager uh, and lived the rest of my my messed up teenage life many years later I got involved in the UFO phenomenon I've told you how that happened I started to meet people in the field one of the people that I met was August C. Roberts who was a very well known photographer in the field of UFOs and had an extensive probably the best UFO collection in the world of UFO photos in the world so August Roberts in fact came to Unsocket after I got to know him well on a few occasions and uh, we were working on a special issue of probe that was dedicated to a sighting he had when he was on a skywash tower in New York City in the early 50s and during one of his visits he handed me a book called The Stranger at the Pentagon written by Dr. Frank Stranges PhD and and uh, so I opened the book 
and there are some. The theme of the book is that Frank Strangest claims that on one of his many visits to the Pentagon, he met a person from another planet, and that there are pictures of that person in this book, in his book, The Stranger at the Pentagon. So I open the book, and there is the picture of the so-called person from another planet, and sitting right next to him, looking like they are all together, are the two people that picked me up in that car. Isn't that amazing? And, and I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. The minute I look at the photograph, I recognize these are the people that picked me up that day that I was hitchhiking from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what that says. Yeah, we have a call, and uh, we're going to take it. Hi there. Hi there. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal. You have a uh, question for Joe? I do, Paul. Uh, by the way, I enjoy your show quite quite frequently. I listen to it all the time, and I enjoy it quite a bit. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. And Joe, uh, where are you from? I'm from Oxbridge. Oxbridge, Mass. Very good. Okay, Joe, Joe. Um, take it away. Joe, how are you tonight, my friend? Not bad. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, uh, what I wanted to ask you about is, it seems to me, I noticed that there are a lot of photos of UFOs from starting in the 50s from places like Brazil, Argentina, and and it seems like that's a really hotbed area for UFOs. Have you ever noticed that? Well, it was, especially in the 50s. Uh, there were a lot, and one of the things was that Brazil and Argentina, the governments of those countries were very open to releasing information on UFOs. And that was why you saw so many photographs from those countries as opposed to other countries. UFOs were being seen and photographed all over the world. They're a worldwide phenomenon. But those countries in particular were very open and receptive to, uh, to uh, displaying these photos. Actually, to your point, not unlike the Soviet Union also. Yes. They seem to be pretty open to the whole... It seems like the United States government wants to, you know, either like you were saying about Alan Hynek, you know, was hired to debunk all this stuff. But other countries are much more open about the whole subject. Well, many other countries are much more open. Uh, France. For instance. Uh, yes, Canada also had a, a Project Magnet. They had their own UFO operation going. I remember meeting the people at Project Magnet. Uh, this, this, as I said, is a worldwide phenomenon. The Soviet Union, uh, for a long time, they kept their operation pretty tight-lipped. Uh, they started to open up uh, after the Berlin Wall went down, and now the information is flowing out of, out of Russia, uh, and there's a lot of it. Now, doesn't, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but doesn't the Soviet Union, or what used to be the Soviet Union, now it's Russia again, uh, don't they have their own kind of Area 51 as well? Yes, they do. By by something called the Black Lake or something? Yeah, they they have their own Area 51, absolutely. Yeah, they've been, they, along with the United States, have been working on uh, disc-shaped aircraft since uh, the end of World War II. Uh, you know, many of the German scientists 
were working on this type of aerial conveyance during World War II. At the end of the war, there was the scientific brain drain that took place. Some of the scientists went to the Soviet Union, others came to the United States, and that information continued to be worked on and developed, and uh, I'm sure accounts for an awful lot of the UFO sightings that people report. Well, you know, to your, to your point, I, I won't take up any more time because I know you have other calls who want to get on, but that is very true that, you know, after World War II, we, we in the Soviets just grabbed all the best science from, scientists rather from Germany. Sure. Because, heck, let's be honest, they really weren't that far off from developing the atomic bomb. Sure. You know, they, yeah. they were doing the same thing we were, and we just got a little bit faster than they did. And that's Absolutely. why the war ended the way it did. Absolutely. Yeah. No, By the way, the, the, the name of the Russian uh, Area 51, I think, is Kapustinya, something like that. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, certainly it is there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing new about this phenomenon either. I mean, it's it's as ancient as man himself. All right. That's one it. last question before I let you go. What do you think about those images, that paintings from, like, the 1400s? where it was like an impressionist of, of the Virgin Mary holding Jesus. And in the sky, you can clearly see a manned craft. And those things were painted in the 1400s. They're hanging in museums. They're not fakes. They're yeah. real. Yeah, they were, as a matter of fact. Those are interesting. Uh, I consider that to be interesting, but some of the weaker evidence, Scott, because uh, those could be... A number of different things. I mean, what looks like it may be a UFO radiating beams of light might be the representation of the sun or a star or a sun dog or some astronomical phenomena that was un misunderstood at that time. So while it, it constitutes a body of evidence that is supportive in a sense, we'll never really know, will we, what that guy was painting, you know? So it's, it's, it's not some of the strongest evidence. It's there and it's supportive, but uh, I'm a little more uh, a little more impressed with hard evidence. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your call. Uh, thank you very much, Paul. Okay. All right. Uh, well, good night, gentlemen. Take care. Uh, funny. Before the show, we were mentioning that we do two programs on uh, on the influence of the paranormal, or possible influence of the paranormal on human origins. And because uh, also what comes up, of course, are issues such as you just discussed with our, with our friend on the phone of uh, ancient art that seems to depict UFOs, and also I get into a lot of ancient documents that seem to, when you read them in the original language, come up with all sorts of wild stories about agricultural colonies and all this sort of thing, which in a way leads me into uh, our next question. We were kind of talking a little bit before the show about the religious implications of a lot of these things and I was I was uh, sort of captured by your thought that you felt a sort of calmness when you were engaged in this and, and let's think about that for a second we've got to take a commercial break but let's talk about that when we come back sure we'll take a quick break here okay oh okay well we're going to take a commercial break here and then we'll be back with our interview with Joe in just a few moments yeah, deja vu 
Hi, everybody. Dave Richards here, and we're bringing back the ON Morning Fun Show. But this time, I will not be alone. Uh, that's right, Dave. You need me there. Hi, everyone. This is Joe Callahan, and I'm joining Dave on the Morning Fun Show every weekday morning from 5 to 8. Remember that guy, Mike Sheridan? He's on weekday afternoons now with Steve Bianchi on the Afternoon Fun Show from 3 to 6 p.m. The Morning Fun Show will have everything you need to get your morning going on the right foot. News, weather, sports with Lou Mandeville, trivia, giveaways, and terrific music. And then we'll help you with the left foot. It's the ON Morning Fun Show with Dave and Joe. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8 on your station for fun. ON Radio. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benny. In a very special edition, playing a replay of our interview with Joe Ferrier back in 2009. Okay, folks, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benny. And we're visiting this evening with Joe Ferrier, well-known talk show host here in Rhode Island, and amazing UFO stories from his tremendous background in this subject. And we were talking about the religious implications of some of these things. And supposedly, Joe, that's what the government, uh, among other things, at least was afraid of at the time, that they didn't want people to know about this stuff because civil order would break down or whatever. What is your opinion on the religious um, implications of the UFO phenomenon? You think it's uh, something that may have thought people thought they were seeing gods in the old days, or what was mundanic and right? What do you think? Wow, <laughs> how many hours do we have? <laughs> uh, not enough, I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've considered the possibility that the Bible is a misinterpretation of uh, visitations conducted by advanced beings uh, from other planets. Uh, the vision of Ezekiel is sure. rather strong evidence of that, and a few other incidents, as you know, in the Bible that would seem to indicate that uh, something of a, an alien presence may have been going on there. But, you know, it leads to, I think we can get to the real meat of the matter, Paul. We've been asking the wrong questions, I think, for all these years. What are the UFOs? Where do they come from? What do they want? I think what we should have been asking is why are the UFOs? We live in a cause and effect world. If we look at the UFOs as being somewhat causative, what has been the effect of the UFO phenomenon on the human condition? It seems to me that we might entertain the idea that the UFOs have brought about kind of a shift in the collective consciousness of humans on this planet. You know, alien life, space flight, visitors from other planets. Prior to the advent of the UFO, that was all science fiction stuff. That stuff you read in science fiction books, <coughs> excuse me, it made for interesting sci-fi movies, but you never took it seriously. But after the UFOs arrived, now everything suddenly seemed to change. Uh, it brought about a, a heightened interest in the possibility of real alien visitation, real space travel, and, an, and possibly a real alien presence. Uh, I like to refer to it as the... It was almost like a paradigm shift. It was like the advent of the, of the cosmic viewpoint. We began to look at things entirely differently consider for example the UFOs uh, may have been the real equivalent of Arthur C. Clarke's monolith in 2001 why are the UFOs 
They are here to elevate the collective consciousness of man, to get us to expand our horizons, to think over, above, and beyond the limitations that we have placed upon ourselves. And lo and behold, within 10 years after the first modern sighting of UFOs, that was June 24th, 47, I believe, Kenneth Arnold, within 10 years, we launched our first space satellite. These are the same people that for years and years plottered along with relatively small technological leaps from time to time. How long did it take to invent the wheel, for example? (laughs) And all of a sudden, here's this, this fantastic quantum technological leap that takes place, and we are in space, 10 years after UFOs arrive on the scene. So, I think that that's, that's something that I think that we have to look at and seriously consider. That they ignited something new in the human spirit and they brought with them a, uh, I would say a technological leap. I'm not sure that they have brought an evolutionary leap. I would like to believe that's happened too. But I think there's been what could properly be referred to as a quantum technological leap since the advent of the UFO. I hope there will be a quantum evolutionary leap as well. Yeah. I hope you're right. Uh, the last time I sat down with Bud Hopkins, the UFO uh, abduction expert, yeah. he had brought his photo album with him. And we were both speaking at this conference, and I was, I was talking about ghosts, and he's talking about UFOs. And there isn't necessarily any sort of uh, divorce between those two subjects, strangely, strangely enough. And he showed me photographs of things that had been done to people, in his opinion, by alien visitors, okay? And they were none too friendly, apparently. And the what struck me was that they were, in many cases, exactly what I had seen in cases of poltergeist attacks in cases that I was working with. And, it, and Bud and I kind of sat back and we kind of looked at each other and, you know, wow. Uh, so... I don't know. I think that there there may be a, there is a dark side to this, and I think it's far more to it than, than maybe any of us realize. And we have a caller uh, for Joe, and welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, Joe. Hello. Hi, Joe. Ronnie V. How are you doing? How are you doing? Um, I, I, I'm doing. I, I, I got the wind that you were going to be on the show, and I thought I would call tonight. I'm um, just picking it up out here in Chapachet. Uh-huh. Um, I want to know about 1999. I have a report that a UFO was on Social Street, and I'd like the police officer in the city of Woonsocket to come forward. He called back to the police station saying there was a massive craft over Social Street. Yeah, I do remember that, Ron. I remember something well, like that, Well, let, yeah. let, let me just tell you this. I know this for a fact, and it was on the front page of the Woonsocket call, if somebody wants to check this. Yes. 1999. Odd Bell told me this. Uh-huh. Okay. The police officer called back because a truck driver called Odd Bell's show and said, I had a delivery in the city of Socket, and there was a massive traffic jam, and all the people in the big, you know, the high-rises were pointing at the sky, and it was a huge ship. And the first police officer there called back to the station and said, there is a ship here, Sergeant. What do you want me to do? And this was in 1999. And if you search, like, at the library or something and get the call, Dan Menard says, do we have visitors? That was the front page of the Winsocket call. Yeah, I remember that very well, Ron. 
Do you remember there was a guy that actually was walking on social street that saw that, but everybody kind of put him down? Yes. I'm not sure who that was. Yeah, I, I do remember that. I, I don't re I don't have any names for you. I yeah. don't remember either, but yeah, I remember that very well. Well, let me just remind people that, this, that the, who don't live in this area, we have a lot of listeners who are all over the place. This is not a rural. Rhode Island is very small, and much of it is very yeah. rural. But the Woonsocket area is is uh, considered a metropolitan area for for us. Right. Anyway, it's considered the city. Corner. We got yeah. about what forty something thousand people, but mm -hmm. uh, but so it's it's not as if you're you're standing in the farmyard here looking up at the sky. Right. You're, on, you're on a city street. Out here in Chapasha, we have a place. It's an old bar, like a tavern, and it's on 102. It's a White Horse Pub, and there's been many UFO sightings that actually. I don't know what episode number it is, but the X-Files came here and filmed an episode. Is that right? Yeah, in Chapachet, Rhode Island. I'll figure out which, I'll call you uh, next time you're on the show there and tell you which one it is, but um, there's a lot of UFO stuff in, in the state of Rhode Island, you know? Ron, Ron, did that White Horse Pub, did that have another name? Was it recently changed? Yeah, it was. It's called Chaz Grill, C-H-A-R-S. Uh-huh. But uh, I heard, you know, over the years that there was tons of UFOs over there. Plus, there was black helicopters and a lot of stuff over there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I bought a huge apple farm out here, and uh, but Woonsocket was well known for UFOs back then. And I, I tell people all the time, and they kind of laugh at me, that buses went down there, and they had, like, tour guides, and, you know, back in the 60s and stuff, the end of Diamond Hill. Elder Blue Road, I think. That's true. Oh, yeah. That's true. People were coming in by the bus load. There were yeah. so many UFO sightings. So in we're the scratching area. the surface here. I, I remember I, there are a couple of people who wrote in emails uh, to, to ask you about local stuff too. Well, thank you very much for your calls. Hey, keep, thank uh, you. Keep in touch. Keep us posted. What's going on out there? I will. That's great. You have Joe on number one. I know we have people have been asking for him. We're real happy to have him. Thank you. Take care, thank Ron. You. Okay. Now, Joe, of course, all, all these questions lead to one thing. And, and you were saying that, that when you were publishing your magazine, Probe, all sorts of weird things started to happen. On this show, uh, when we talk about ghosts, no problem. Right? Nobody seems to mind. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about cryptids, you know, like Bigfoot and all these different things, mm -hmm. especially when there's a UFO connection, somebody out there seems to get nervous. And when we talk about UFOs, especially when we have the big guys on, the ones everybody knows, Stan Friedman and, and uh, Nick Pope from England, who worked for the British Ministry of Defense and all this stuff, somebody gets real nervous, and a lot of strange things start happening. Yeah. Uh, to me, to Ben, uh, around our house, uh, having to do with the show, apparently. And I've never been a believer in conspiracy theories, but after that happened to me, I, I've mentioned I'm not going to repeat it on this, this show, but it happened to me out at quote-unquote Area 51 when I was... Chased across the desert by government agents with a U.S. government plan. I mean, what, what are they afraid of? I think the thing that is always the most fearful is the thing you really don't know about. That even after all these years, there are elements to this mystery that they just don't know anything about. Years ago, I called the UFO phenomenon a multifarious enigma, and I think it is. I, I think you mentioned there's a dark side, there's a light side. There, there are many, many sides to this phenomenon. There may be, what, 50 different theories out there to explain UFOs, and it just may be that every one of them is correct to some extent.
Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a mighty big universe. Sure is. And there's, there's room for everybody to be right about this thing. And the nature of the phenomenon is such that it seems to lend itself and adapt itself to different situations. It's, it's, and, and then you had the overlap phenomenon too. The UFO overlaps into other areas of the paranormal as well. Oh, well, that's what we talk about all the time. Cause, sure. you know, and I'm all, uh, and people are always saying, shut up and let the guests talk. But I, I have to mention that our good old capital M multiverse, that that's the, I've been working on that theory for 30 years. And so far it does seem to hold up, at least as far as we've taken it. And, uh, it does explain, I think, a lot of the, the phenomena and the overlaps. I think quantum physics, I think, is, is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And uh, here again, you see, we have, I, I submit that there has been a, a consciousness shift because we are, we are considering possibilities now that we weren't even capable of thinking of 20 years yeah, ago. Really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So something, something is going on, something is energizing and doing something to, to the brain, the mind of the human being. Yeah. Do you think any of this has anything to do with leading up to 2012? Uh, that, that seems to be something people are dragging in or... I'm one of those subject. who doesn't. Okay. No, yeah. I don't. Well, yeah, I, before we even get in, I want to um, read uh, something. We have a couple of emails that came in. A lot of people can't listen live, and they send in emails uh, beforehand. This is from Donna C. in Cumberland, Rhode Island, right next to Woonsocket here. And does, this, does Joe know anything about UFOs in and around the Pawtucket Reservoir in Cumberland? That's all, that's all Donna says. I know that... Uh Again, going back to 1967, 68, thereabouts, yes, many, many sightings of UFOs in and around the reservoir. In, in the reservoir? Not in, but yeah, on. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard that there can be underwater. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Sure. I don't know of anyone, I've never heard of a report, let's put it that way, of one uh, submerging in the reservoir, but. Yeah, reports came from there frequently. Sure. Okay. That whole area was just a hotbed of yeah. activity. Well, that leads into one of the questions we asked in the beginning, and of course we're coming up to the end of our hour, but are certain areas, in your opinion, more prone to the paranormal in general, UFOs in particular? Obviously people think of the Bermuda Triangle and over here the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts. Uh, do we live in one too, in the Blackstone Valley? Well, you know, there's, there's uh, the ley line phenomenon in UFO research would support the contention that there are certain areas that are more attractive to UFOs than other areas. I think there might be something to that. Mm. Going all the way back to the 50s, there was a fellow, a French fellow by the name of Amy Michel, who wrote a book entitled Flying Saucers and the Straight Line Mystery. Mm. And, and he, there was the beginning of catching on to some kind of a pattern developing with UFO sightings. And yeah, I, yeah, I think he was on to something. I think there might be something to that. Well, I hope you're free on Sunday nights because that, that's a topic for another show. And I think, as sure. I Bell would say, we're definitely going to do this again. Sure. Uh, here's another question. We've got a few more minutes. Uh, this is from uh, Mike in Wheeling, West Virginia. That's Bud Hopkins' hometown, as a matter of fact. Uh, I wanted to ask Joe about those UFOs he took pictures of in 1967. Did he ever see them again? Interesting question. And the answer is no. Okay. Uh, well, that is interesting in the sense that there's something else I wanted to mention, that I think that there's a particular age frame that UFOs are interested in. Uh, I'm 70 years old now. I haven't seen a UFO in many, many years. I think people between the ages of 
25 and 45. I think if you check the records, you'll find most of your percipients will fall into that age category, and especially if you start getting into the abduction phenomenon. Now you're going to even narrow the age limit even more, I believe. Uh, what that has to say about the phenomenon, I don't know. But but yeah. anyway, to answer the question, no, that, that incident was my last brush with the UFOs. Okay. All right, and we had the third one here. This is... Um from Julie in Uxbridge, uh, Massachusetts, where our last caller was. And Julie asks, uh, did any of you ever find out any more about the UFO over one socket that you think interfered with your broadcast a year ago? I guess that's more a question to Ben and me. I don't know if you, uh, if you look at our podcast of our second show, and, and we do another show on a South Dakota-based station. It was Phoenix at the time. And it was a, a really strange, it was our second show, and, and we had a terrible time with the audio. And that will happen when you're, you know, a million miles away from the station. However, mm -hmm. this, the engineer down there couldn't figure out what was going on. Nobody could. Ben comes running down the stairs to my office at home uh, several hours later after the show, and he said, Dad, you've got to come up and see this. Now, we, have, we live up in Upper Fairmount there, and we, we're on the hill, and we have a couple of skylights in the attic, and you can look up and pretty much see all of one socket and all this. And the... Steeple of Holy Family Church, which is a, a really dominant landmark in our part of the area, uh, was lit up, and there were these weird lights flying around the steeple, almost like orbs that you see in, in the photographs of the ghosts and all right. this, supposedly. And uh, the lights went out, and you know, and you know, you're, you're from this area. That that steeple is lit all the time. You know, I've never seen it go out before, except during outages, or. And that seemed to be, and the power in the, that part of South Main Street, I was told by people who lived there, had gone out that night, and one or two people had reported seeing funny lights in the sky that yeah. night and around yeah. the steeple. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether it had anything to do with our show being knocked off the air, I don't know. But it, but it was a disconcerting experience. And uh, uh, just to answer this person's question, uh, Julie, we never did really find out any more about it, except that other people had witnessed it. Which, of course, uh, uh, now we're down to three minutes here, so I'm going to... I'm going to have to close it up. Joe, we are definitely going to do this again. And thank you so much. I'll, I'll give you the last word, as Bill O'Reilly would say. I don't really have a last word. Uh, I usually end my program by saying, watch the skies. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I think it's a multifarious enigma. I think it's much more complicated than a lot of people think. And uh, keeping that in mind, I think that's the way to approach it. Excellent. And to just... Well, there we are, folks. Welcome back to 2012. And that was our interview with the great Joe Ferrier from 2009. His intelligence and his uh, articulateness speak for themselves. And we just think that's a great interview. If you'd like to hear that again at any time, it is uh, from uh, certainly the, the uh, podcast page of our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And it is the show from July 12th, 19, uh, I should say July 12th, 2009, available free at any time. Look in the page for the 2009 podcast. Okay, so Ben, take away the announcements here. All right, so on our announcements tonight, we'd like to say that our next stop on our tour of public appearances and town hall style meetings is Woodbridge, Suffolk, England on Saturday, September 22nd. Um, and we will present our program, Exploring the Paranormal, with CBS Radio's Paul and Ben Eno. At the Grove House Hotel in Woodbridge, Suffolk, England, as we previously mentioned, from 7 to 11 p.m., and tickets are 11 pounds per person. Oh, 15 and, pounds. Oh, 15, sorry. Uh, 
Uh, I saw 11 p.m. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, and this will include a full buffet, uh, courtesy of the hotel, and profits will go to local charities. So this evening, or well, this event will take place in a highly active paranormal area, which was the scene of the famous Rendlesham Forest incidents of 1980. And Laren Warren, eyewitness to the event and co-author of Left at East Gate, plans to be with us that evening. Uh, for more information and to buy tickets, visit www.spaceportuk.com slash events or just go to behindtheparanormal.com for the link to uh, that site under What's New. And finally, my dad and I will be featured speakers at the All Hallows' Eve Psychic Fair at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island on Sunday, October 28th. So watch for more info on these events and more at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And again, check our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. The illustrations and magazines that we referred to this evening are on the Talking Points page from 2009, so check that out as well. Subscribe to our newsletter, and you can also um, become a show reporter. There are all sorts of things to do on that site. And check out the 400 podcasts of our show available at that site as well. So many thanks to our producer, Ben himself, who we're very happy to say has recovered from his uh, oral surgery. And we'll see you next Monday, August 27th, right here on WON 1240 AM and com, when Ben and I will settle in with stories by our distant cousin, the renowned 20th century Rhode Island science fiction and horror writer H.P. Lovecraft, for a look at how much he might have known about the multiverse. So we're just about out of time, so uh, why don't you uh, give us a final word? Okay, very good. Well, our quote this evening is from Henry Ford. Coming together is a beginning, keeping together is progress, working together is success. So thanks for joining us in a great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.